This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Trying to get by Benning. Darnell Nurse left it in the corner. Gets up center. Hey everybody, we're late, but we're back. This is a forever mighty post-game show. Tonight, it's Eddie and I taking over the pod to talk about the Ducks' historic losing streak. A ninth straight loss. This time, Eddie, at the hands of the Ottawa Senators, who, at their own streak, were at an eight-game loss and came to Anaheim and won in overtime thanks to Colin White and Bobby Ryan. This game was yeah. rough, my friend. Yeah, it was not a fun game. And I saw a tweet earlier. I think this was it said this was the third time that uh, two teams with eight or more game losing streaks faced off against each other. So it wasn't just historic for the Ducks in, in losing nine. It was a historically bad game when you get two horrible teams facing each other. And uh, yeah, another boring one. And uh, as we'll get to later, another one where the Ducks just literally cannot score any goals whatsoever. It was brutal. It was absolutely brutal. I mean, I know that Jacob Silverberg finally gets to the board there. And that was probably the highlight of the night for the Ducks. And you look at the scoring chances. Has there ever been a game where there was so many quote-unquote chances, but just nothing dangerous? I never felt like the Ducks were in a position to to score. I don't know, man. It, it was very hard to watch this game and be entertained from a perspective of just a casual fan. And then looking at the numbers, I was like, I was at this game, and I watched the entire thing. And I felt like the Ducks didn't seem dangerous at all as much as the uh, the analytics would say. No, it, it was boring. And a quick update just for everybody who is in the YouTube chat, if you're wondering why our beautiful faces aren't there, uh, Skype decided to finally force me to update it to the horrible Windows desktop version. So now I cannot find out how to pull the video. So that hopefully will be fixed for Friday. Uh, but if you're wondering why we just have two massive logos and the score blown up on the screen... <laughs> uh, that that would be why, but uh, yeah, getting getting back to the game, um, not a fun one, not not a fun one at all. It it, it was really just uh, a game where you look at it on paper. Even with the Ducks losing eight, we talked about this. They had played a lot better um, over those eight games than they had earlier in the season. It was kind of coming down to luck and a couple other things and why they had gone on that eight game losing streak. And you look at the Ottawa Senators who were just losing games pretty much because they were bad. And there was really no upside for them when you look at going to analytics and look at the, the puck possession or their shooting percentage. And you just saw that everything was going bad for the Senators. But let's let's quickly get through this because I don't want to spend too long. And I know you don't want to spend too long on this breakdown. Uh, we got some pregame stuff. Obviously, John Gibson was a starter in that versing new Ottawa Senator Andres Nielsen, who was the, I guess, I guess he's the starter now? He kind of has to be, and honestly, it didn't really matter who was in net for Ottawa because the Ducks couldn't really muster up any chances, and that, uh, that awful power play of Anaheim's came out and reared its ugly head tonight, Eddie. They had chances and were not able to bury them on those occasions, so it continues to be a problem here. 
And uh, you would expect, uh, with Ottawa being as bad as they were, that getting those extra man chances would, you know, maybe come to a point where they were able to score a goal, but the Ducks weren't able to find the back of the net. No, no Matt Duchesne either for the Ottawa Senators. And no Craig Anderson. You have Anders Nielsen in that. Yeah, and and that's no no, um, slack against Anders Nielsen, but you look at some of the goaltenders the Ducks have faced on this now nine-game losing streak. They have really made some uh, mediocre mediocre goaltenders look really good, uh, and that's just because the Ducks cannot score, uh, and their shooting percentage is testament to that, which we'll get to later. But a couple other things to to kind of clear up before the start of this game was Ricard Raquel finally, finally go. making his return, which was, I guess, the only bright spot heading into this game. A lot of people upset that Pontus Aberg was the healthy scratch, uh, Andy Walensky also scratched, and Josh Mahura and Ben Street were sent down to the San Diego Gulls, uh, who both played, I believe, down there tonight. Uh, new look lines as Raquel comes back. Obviously, he goes with Ryan Getzlaff. Daniel Sprong jumps up to the top line with him. Andre Kasher goes back with Henrik and Ritchie, and then there's a third and fourth liner, what we've seen over the last few games. Defense pairings are pretty much the same, except Larson and Dotson draw back in as Mahara gets sent down, like we said, and Walensky is scratched. Uh, yeah, so as I mentioned before, tonight's matchup between the Sens and the Ducks marks the third time in NHL history where both teams enter on eight-game losing streaks. So there, there's the history <laughs> to start off this game. Not, not a good one. Not a good note to start off on. That is definitely not a stat that you want to be a part of. Uh, but let's address something really quick here. So Pontus Aberg not in the lineup tonight. Ricard Raquel back in the lineup tonight. Uh, Pontus Aberg has not been on a streak, and he is the guy to do so. Yeah, sure, he's at the top or near the top of the leaderboards when it comes to scoring goals on this team. But, uh, I mean, honestly, he's in a dry spell. And he's more of a one-dimensional player. So anybody who was upset about this, you kind of have to take a look at the fact that Ricard Raquel is much more dynamic, and you have to make room. And, I mean, really, who else are you going to scratch? I mean, they had to make that move. And putting Mahura in the AHL was the right move. Uh, so him yeah, going down was. was a good move, too. So I, I don't yeah. have a problem with Aper being scratched. I guess I don't have a major problem. I mean, I agree with Josh Mahura getting sent down. Uh, not that he was playing awful, but I think you know he was getting to that point where he was starting great. to make mistakes. Yeah, and uh, Jakob Larson had been somewhat consistent. Same with Jake Dodson to some extent as well, where they were just looking better than Maher and Walensky were. And I think that last game was kind of a, a last straw for both Maher and Walensky to really show that they belong up in the lineup right now. And, and as we see, both of them were out for this game. Um, but Mahari getting sent down, I think, is good. He's only 20. That's what we have to remember, too. Right. Like, he's only 20 years old, and, and I think that bottom-pairing defenseman slot right now is better suited for a guy like Jacob Larson and his style of play, which is more of a, a two-way game, rather than Josh Mahara, who we saw was taking power play time from Brandon Montour, uh, where Montour played a second of power play time in the last game. Uh, but Pontus Abrick's an interesting one, and I kind of want to save this for a bit later after we break down the game because a lot of people were upset or questioning why the Ducks would leave their joint top scorer out of the lineup and not have him in a game where you're trying to not set history in a negative way and lose your ninth straight game. But let's quickly get through this first period. Silverberg gets the first goal of the game. Uh, he now is joined with 11 goals for the lead, league lead on the team. Uh, Montreux breaks into the zone, drops the puck back to Silverberg. He wires a one-timer past Nielsen, who didn't really look like he gave that much of an effort to make the save, to be honest. He kind of just waved his glove at it. It was a good place shot by Jakob Silverberg. Um, and, and I guess great for him to kind of show off, because honestly, at this point, he's not showing off to get a new contract. He's showing off to whatever team the Ducks are going to trade him to. It was that half slap shot. That's a hard one to read. A goaltender's preparing for a shot coming in on goal. The defenseman started to pressure, and he got that away so quickly. That was key in beating Anders Nielsen there, was getting that puck away as fast as possible. And that half slap shot's deadly, and we all know he's got the hands. It was nice to see Silverberg get one on the board there because he's going to hit you know, just a bit of a dry spell. And that line has just been atrocious with uh, him and Kessel and Cogliano. 
So it was good to see Silverberg get that goal and get the Ducks on the board early. It gave us some hope, but uh, unfortunately, it just wasn't enough. That's what we need right now. It's, it's some kind of hope because the Ducks are heading into Friday against the Red Hot Pittsburgh Penguins. Thank God the, the Pittsburgh Penguins are bad and they don't have a generational talent or two or three on that team, huh? Yeah, good thing their goaltending is is still playing bad. Oh, wait, Matt Murray's won his last, his last eight games in a row. So nah, he that's, still sucks. Uh, that's all right. Yeah, that, that'll be fun. <laughs> He's not elite. That's, that's, that's the argument we had. Um, but you want to summarize the rest of this first period? Well, the Ducks' power play sucks. That's how you summarize the rest of this first period because they got a power play and they had no shots on goal. Surprise, surprise. We've seen that time and time again. Uh, shots were 7-5 how? for the sense. How, 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 do, how do we get through this? Every game, the past nine games now, how do we go through <laughs> this and don't figure out a way for the power play to be better? Is it the personnel at this point? It's both. Is it? But why is Ryan Kessler on that's power what, yeah. play one? That's a problem. That's what I'm. That's the problem. It is it's, it is the personnel, but it's also who they're deciding to put out on the power play. With Ricard Raquel back in the lineup, with Brandon Montour from working his way back into the power play, that's two slots that you've now filled up on your power play. You should have Ryan Getzlaff up there. Daniel Sprong deserves a spot on there. You could argue Jakob Silverberg, after scoring the first goal of the game, deserves a spot on there as well. Cam Fowler should. Maybe Hampus Lindholm. How in the hell does Ryan Kessler still find his way on the top power play unit? I mean, and again, Adam Henrique deserves a spot over... Um, Ryan Kessler, you could argue Nick Ritchie deserves a spot on the power play over Ryan Kessler because Nick Ritchie is actually putting up points. And if you want to put a guy in front of the net for a screen, Nick Ritchie's shown over the last few games that he's uh, the guy to do that. He, he's playing well in front of the net. I don't know how Ryan Kessler still is getting reps on the power play when you look at the scoring drought he's on. I, what are they seeing? Is it, is it literally to win a faceoff? I that, but he's not even doing well in faceoff. So I, I don't get it. It makes no sense. It's ultra frustrating to watch. It's it's brutal. I don't understand what the hell they're doing with their special teams. It's like Jason has said it before on this show. We miss the Walrus. And I kind of feel like Paul McLean deserves a chance to come back. And I would gladly welcome him with open arms and have his mustache try to come over here, Eddie, and fix this power play. Because it's really, really bad. It, when you have... The talent on this team, and I understand we're not Tampa Bay, we're, you know, we're not the Boston. Um, there, there's, there's still talent here. Andre Kasha, Brandon Montour, Ryan Getzloff. I didn't Cam even mention Fowler. Kasha. I ripped it's, through like seven guys, and I didn't even mention Andre Kasha. He's got beautiful hands, and he has the ability to bury this puck. And Ricard Raquel's back in the lineup now. We have our scoring wingers. This power play has to get better. The fact that it's so bad is just baffling to me. And honestly, I I don't I don't need to defend myself anymore. Everyone knows I like Ryan Kessler, who listens to this show long enough. But they also know he doesn't belong in the first power play unit. And if you watch tonight's game against one of the worst teams in the league, you would see why. I, I don't know what to say, man. This power yeah. play, they need to figure it out because... If they're going to get anywhere, they need to resolve this problem. Lot, lots of comments in the chat about this, too. Uh, Ike says that the special teams need a flogging. Uh, Joseph <laughs> says, not about the power play, but he says, fire whomever it takes to put Lindholm and Manson and Fowler and Montour back together. Oh, my God. Amen to that. Is it Marty Morrison or is it Ryan, Randy Carlisle? It has to be Randy Carlisle. Or it's Marty Wilford. Marty Wilford, sorry. Know, Marty Wilford. But, could be uh, yeah i don't know it's somebody but it's randy all, it's, it's randy they're still doing it um joseph joseph again says seriously how hard is it to set up monty for a one-timer from the face-off dot i don't know man i've been asking that question since i don't know beginning of the season when montour got a couple looks there and he looked really good and then they just decided hey you didn't score so we're gonna take you off of there i don't I, get it man and then lastly, uh, Sons of Hockey says, Ryan Kessler is on the top unit because of his paycheck. So, <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, maybe. Very I, possible. I but if you're not putting the puck in the back of the net or you're not even doing anything, you know, the only thing Ryan Kessler like, I can give credit to is he's gotten a couple good chances and he's either hit a post or the goalie's made a good save. Uh, but that's like one a game. And other than that, he just disappears. And that, that whole line other than Silverberg pretty much disappears. And, you know, we've been talking about 
Ryan Kessler a lot for good reason because of his contract, the amount of money he makes, and what he's supposed to do for this team. But Andrew Cogliano has been just as just as much a ghost as Ryan Kessler has been. And I, I mean, I guess he gets kind of a little slack a bit because he's kind of always been that player. He's never been a guy who puts up the points, and you know, he's more so been that penalty killing type of defensive forward. Uh, but he hasn't done anything. I don't know the last time I saw him put up a point, let alone a goal. It's been a very, very long time. And it's tied to Ryan Kessler. So. It's not the time to have right now when your team's in the middle of an eight-game losing streak. This is historically bad. And I don't know if it's recoverable. Even if they find some way to squeak into the playoffs... Is that really what this team wants right now? I mean, I don't know. That's a tough question. It's a very tough question. But, like, the the thing is, I think people still believe, and and maybe for good reason, that if the coaching staff changes, this team gets better. Um, I don't know if there's enough evidence to say that's true. Yeah, obviously, coaching makes a difference, and if you're playing a different style, but. It's too late if a coach comes in and is going to teach the team a completely different style. It's too late to get them to buy into that style this late in the season, turn things around, and all of a sudden become a contender. Uh, you know, Now they've lost nine in a row. They go and they have to play Pittsburgh. That's not going to be an easy So game. it's going to be ten. Probably. Even I don't want to be that guy to say they're automatically going to lose the game against Pittsburgh because this team, Eddie, has shown they can play with top talent, right, against top talent. They played very well it's against Tampa Lightning. So, I mean, and they've beaten Pittsburgh. So there's opportunity here for Anaheim to break the streak. The question begs is, is this a team that can pull from those experiences and come out of this trash that they're buried in and, and play the type of hockey that needs to be played come Friday? That's, that's the big question. Because um, yeah. we've seen it from this group. They can do it. it it's, it's like they're stuck. They're just stuck. And I guess part of it is luck. Part of this has to be luck. Because you you don't dominate games and lose like this all the time. No, it it is. And we'll bring it up now because uh, I I wanted to talk about it later, but it's been brought up and I think it's a good time for it. So if you you look at PDO, which if if people don't know, is the, the stat I guess you could say that really determines luck or is a good way of representing luck, which is just the save percentage plus shooting percentage. And uh, generally, it, it usually will equal out to about 100. So and that would be equal. If you're below that, then you're unlucky. If you're above that, then you're you're a little bit lucky. The Ducks over their losing streak, right there near the bottom with the Ottawa Senators. So it proves they've been a bit unlucky. You want to know why? Because that shooting percentage over the last eight games before tonight, and I'm sure it didn't get any better tonight, was below 4%. That's rough. That is a rough percentage. What's even worse is that 3.96, well, yes, it was dead last. The second last was Vancouver with 5.19. So not only were they last, they were dead last in shooting percentage as a team over the, that eight-game losing streak. Corsi 4 percentage, I think it was about 52%, which was, and they were six best at five five on five. In shot attempts over their eight-game losing streak, they were six best in the league, but they lost eight games in a row. I don't want to go go out and say it's only luck because it's not. The save percentage has gone down. John Gibson can't do this on a nightly basis. They were sitting middle of the pack in save percentage, so that's what's kind of given what I guess is considered unlucky because the godly save percentage has come down. And the shooting percentage is just at a ridiculous number. So that's why the PDO is where it is. But we've talked about for a while. This team, puck possession, not their strength. Somehow, on an eight-game losing streak, they've looked better than they ever have in the league standings. Like, when you put them six, and you look at the other teams who are one through five, I think all of them, except maybe I think Philadelphia was up there, had uh, either a winning record above 500 or were a very good team like Tampa Bay. And then you have the Ducks, who were six best and had lost the last eight games. That's ridiculous. Yeah, but what you got to I mean, that point. I mean, controlling the puck is one thing, but getting yeah. on the inside of teams' defenses, and then you really got to take a look at shot quality. 
And then sometimes goaltenders have a great night. And we've seen that from John Gibson. Um, sure, you add some luck in there, but I mean, this team's just not putting away the chances they're given. And of course, I mean, why would we go through this game, Eddie, and not give a game away and put the puck on a stick to a player by the name of Bobby Ryan, who is very familiar with this Anaheim team? This crowd knows him. A lot of people in the crowd love this guy. Why would it be anybody else other than Bobby Ryan to tie this freaking game up here, man? It, it just has to be. It has to be because they don't have any more former Ducks there anymore. So it's got to be Bobby Ryan. <laughs> and there's Ryan. no Matthew Shane tonight. So you got to no, pick Bobby no. Ryan. Yeah. And well, you know what the, the surprising thing was? Is uh, saw nothing from Brady Kachuk and Mark Stone, the, the most lethal guys up front for the Ottawa Senators. Ryan Kessler actually did a good job of shutting them down tonight. But, of course, it's Bobby Ryan who is playing with pretty much nobody, and he's able to put a puck in the back. That Dylan DeMello is the guy who drives to the net, drives right past Josh Manson, and then the puck just bounces around everywhere, and DeMello knocks it back to Ryan, who just scrapes it past the line. And the, the broadcast like to say that's the greasy type of goals that Randy Carlisle wants the Ducks to be scoring. But I, Yeah, right. I it's like... yeah. I, I yeah, that's the only goals you're gonna score when you're shooting under four percent, right? Or you're gonna get a shot like Silverberg that's gonna go in every now and then. Which yes, it was a good, a well placed shot, but it probably shouldn't have gone in if you had anybody but Anders Nielsen in there because he kind of just waved at it. Um, but yeah, so it's it's one one off that play. Of course, it's Bobby Ryan, uh, and then Gibson has to come up big because at, to that point the Ducks were controlling shot attempts, they were controlling play. And then uh, the Senators just said, hey, you know, we can probably win this game. We're also on an eight-game losing streak. We don't want to be on a nine-game losing streak. Uh, so Gibby has to make like four big saves in a row, two of them on breakaways. Magnus Payarvi had a breakaway where he went forehand, backhand. Gibby makes a terrific pad save, probably his best save of the game. Uh, and then Payarvi gets another chance about 30 seconds later where, again, he finds himself alone in front, throws a backhand on that, but Gibson says no. And then he's got to make a, another save on, on Dezingle about a minute, two minutes later. I, I mean, the Ducks just fall asleep. You bring a one nothing lead into the third period. Then the other team scores, so you're, and you're trying to bounce back from that. But the Ducks just completely fall apart. And for, for a bit in that third period, I think the Ducks had held possession for most of the game. They actually dipped below because the Senators were just pressing so much. Honestly, I mean... When you're talking about a team that can't score against Anders Nielsen, and you're talking about a team that's missing one of their best offensive players, and in it's the Ducks, and they're on an eight-game losing streak, and so is Ottawa. This was the one game that I went to this season. I was like, they're definitely going to beat the Senators. There's no way I'm going to go to a game where they lose. And I don't know how it looked from a broadcast standpoint, but this is one of the first games I've been to, Eddie, that was absolutely boring from the beginning to the end from Anaheim. The excitement wasn't there. They weren't generating chances. When Bobby Ryan got that tying goal, did you see a push from Anaheim that everyone missed? Because, honestly, I mean, sitting in those seats, you just couldn't see the effort. The effort is just not there. Ryan Getzloff's on a career-worst a pointless streak, which doesn't help this team whatsoever. He's the offense that drives this team. Ricard Raquel back tonight. Yeah, I get it. You want to say he's rusty? Sure. Um, he was not effective tonight offensively. I don't know what's what, what's causing this team to be inept, but out of its luck, it's luck, and it's got to go away eventually. But the fact that they didn't have the drive to beat a team that's on an eight-game losing streak, when I, honestly, I feel like they're better equipped than Ottawa is to beat them is pretty embarrassing. They should have came out and whooped this team and mopped the floor of them and again and then got back into uh, you know, a winning streak here to go on and face a really tough team with Pittsburgh. But to have to go and play Pittsburgh on a nine game losing streak is not favorable whatsoever. It, it's it's downright embarrassing to lose to this Ottawa team. It, I don't care what anyone says about it. It, it was awful. Yeah, especially if we're trying to make the argument here that the Ducks have been a little bit unlucky on their eight-game losing streak and probably should have won a game here or there. Yeah, how do you and pitch that? Go, yeah, <laughs> and then you go in against the worst team in the league 
who is also on an eight-game losing streak and who hasn't really been that unlucky. Their goaltending is just awful, and the rest of the team just can't get anything done. They're actually a bad team, when even when you look at their makeup. And like you said, they should have wiped the floor. With them. This should have been an easy game for the Ducks. They get arguably their top offensive player back in Ricardo Raquel. Yeah, it's going to be a, a while for him to get back in the mix of things, but they get him back in the lineup. Cam Fowler's back in the lineup. How long did we hear that once Fowler and Raquel get back, this team's going to look so much different? And they come in at the perfect time against the worst team at home to break a an eight-game losing streak, and they can't close it out. They can't put the puck in the back of the net. And then they blow it in overtime on a ridiculous change by Hampus Lindholm, where he just coasts hey, to oh, the bench. Hey, come on. Oh. I don't care how no listen, I don't care how tired you are, but you know it's three on three overtime. And you know Mark Stone has the puck behind you. Yeah. It's gonna even if even if you go off slowly, there's a chance if it's not a two on one, it's gonna be a three on two, which is never a good thing anyway in overtime. You're giving up an odd man rush. He has to hustle to the bench. He doesn't. He goes too slow. Montour doesn't get over the boards in time. Mark Stone then gets a two-on-one with Colin White. And since Lindholm's a defenseman, guess who's back? It's Ryan Getzlaff defending a two-on-one, which is never a good thing. And it's an easy pass. And, and even not just in overtime, where it pretty much seems like every game the Ducks play in overtime recently, it ends with a two-on-one cross-crease pass where John Gibson is just fed up and he doesn't want to move anymore. The Ducks just can't get it right. They just shoot themselves in the foot. It, every time, especially in overtime. I mean, this is... I love Hampus Lindholm, and I know you love Hampus Lindholm, but that is a ridiculous play, and I just think at that point, they're tired, they're out of it, they just don't want to be there anymore, but you have a chance to end an eight-game losing streak, and you coast to a bench that leads to a two-on-one that ends the game, and you're on a nine-game losing streak. Now, you can't do that. You just can't do that. All right, devil's advocate time. I think Raquel is doing it to get Randy Carlisle fired. Raquel and Hampus Lindholm. Raquel was late on that play. Lindholm goes to the bench slow. No. <laughs> no. I, I don't buy it. Raquel left him hanging too, man. I, I know. It was a bad change. That There's no excuse. But at the same time, you just wonder if this team is just in a funk man it, it's tough to explain i mean we've gone nine straight games where we have to do this post game show and try to 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 to, to drive positives out of these games and it's so hard and this team is just not the same team night in night out you get some flashes of brilliance and then you get games like tonight how do you not come to this game prepared to whip their ass this is a game you have to win this You have to win this game because you're going to have a massive battle come Friday. And then you have, honestly, a stiffer test when you have to get on a plane and fly to Winnipeg and then play on Sunday against a better team. Winnipeg is a better team than Pittsburgh. And the Ducks are going to come in after playing Pittsburgh, playing Sid the Kid, and playing Evgeny Malkin, and then have to fly in and play Mark Shifley and Patrick Laine. These are not easy games. There is a a very good possibility that we're doing a po- a post game show on Sunday after our watch party with an eleven game losing streak. Yeah, that's not because, a good thing. No, if you you look at you going against the Ottawa Senators, like we already mentioned, is one of the worst teams in the league. The Ducks cannot score goals. We know that. But then you can't grind out a win against this team. Now you're going to go face two teams who score goals for fun, especially as of late. And I don't see how it's going to get any better. I I, I just don't. And I don't want to sound pessimistic or or anything like that. But, uh, again, the the shooting percentage got worse tonight. The Ducks put up a lot of shots. Scoring chances were rather high compared to what they have over the last few games. They didn't dominate the Senators, but they had more scoring chances than they generally have on a a per-game basis. But the shooting percentage is still below 4% over the last nine games. Um, and they're just not generating enough quality scoring chances. You know, the, the the shot attempts are there, but they're generally from the perimeter from not dangerous areas. Because if you look at scoring chances, the Ducks are fourth last over their eight-game losing streak. 
in scoring chances for. They're limiting chances against, and that's why you're seeing a lot of these 2-1 games, you know, the, the lower scoring. They're not getting blown out, and some of that has to do with John Gibson, but they're actually finally doing a good job of limiting scoring chances against, which we didn't see earlier in the season. Hence why they are were sixth best at 5-on-5 five five in shot attempts over that eight-game losing streak. The problem is they just can't score. They're not generating enough high-quality chances to put the puck in the back of the net. And then when they get them, they're not cashing in on them. And and I don't see that changing when you go in against a team like Pittsburgh. I don't see all, all of a sudden that they're going to skyrocket back to norm, normality and put up three or four goals against the Pittsburgh Penguins who are rolling or the Winnipeg Jets, especially in Winnipeg, which is notoriously a tough building to play in. Uh, I just don't know when or how this is going to change because it's it's such a weird losing streak. It is because normally you look at a nine game losing streak and you would say there's probably no positives whatsoever. But I just don't get how the Ducks have all of a sudden become a somewhat decent possession team against some very good teams too. When you look at the again the game against Tampa Bay where they outpossessed them and they played a very good game against Tampa Bay but they still lost. There's some positives mired in this nine game losing streak. But the Ducks just can't score. Look, they need to fix the power play. You fix the power play, and you start adding wins to the column there. Uh, if you're going to play like this, if you're going to be able to out shoot, out possess an opposing team on a night by night basis, it which the Ducks have been able to do, and they've I think they've been a little unlucky. I know that we've we expressed a lot of doom and gloom in the first thirty minutes here, but as we approach the end of this game. Uh, I know we haven't talked. We just kind of went over the uh, the overtime here, and the Ducks fall on overtime thanks to Colin White's overtime goal on a two on one with Getzloff back. I know we kind of went to the end of here, but I mean the Ducks zero for three on the power play. They didn't take a penalty in this game. There was no coincidentals. The Ducks literally didn't take a penalty in this game. Had two power plays in the second period, one in the first period, unable to convert. That's a big problem. I think if they're really able to, to to switch it up on the power play and able to convert on one of three, then you have a different game in your hands. And the Ducks is I mean, their special teams are bad. And and that's that's an opportunity. When you have a five on four, five on three advantage, whatever it is with the power play, you have to make the most of your chances. And to not look dangerous with the extra man is a problem. So I really honestly, Eddie, I know that that uh, you know, you have to score five on five more often than not because that's the most amount of ice time you're going to get is at five on five. But when you get those opportunities in the power play, you have to start converting on them. And I think that's a big difference here for Anaheim. And I think that's a positive we can take away because they're getting those chances and they've looked slightly better. But they just still, for whatever reason, haven't figured out how to bury one on the power play on a consistent basis. No, and, and I, I don't think we're saying that they have to have uh, a, the best power play in the league. They just have to not be the second worst power play in the league. Yeah, you know, no, that's I, a problem. It, it just has to be marginally better. They just have to score on a few more of their chances. But again, I, I think you look again. You have to be better at scoring five on five. I think that's where it starts. And then and they have the talent to do well on the power play. Just the setup and some of the personnel they put out there is the big problem. Um, on the power play they're they are not set up to do well they're set up to to cycle on the perimeter when they finally ever get set up because the zone entries aren't clean enough going into the power play we saw that in this game the first power play no shots they couldn't get anything going second one gets marginally better they get a couple chances still can't get set up third power play they finally get set up they have uh they have them have in their own zone for a long period of time but they get no quality chances because all the passing and all the shots come from the perimeter there's no cross ice passing there's no real screens in front of the net there's no setup behind the net to find somebody out front in the slot there's none of that we find that on occasion like daniel sprung's one time a couple games ago where they made that pass from from down low out to sprung in the slot for a one-timer you see it every now and then but it's only when that pass becomes available they're not actively trying to make those plays like the one power play that comes to mind, and I'm sure it's still probably near the top of the league, is the Boston Bruins, the last time the Ducks played the Bruins. They made the Ducks pay with two beautiful set plays 
cross ice on the power play. Well, I think Brad, uh, Brad Marchand scored one and Tory Krug scored the other. That's how you set up the power play. The Ducks have the talent to do that, but they can't execute it. That's what it comes down to, right? It's the yeah. execution. And, and you could say their top winger is Ricard Raquel. And I know you would be battling for Andre Kasha for that title. But either one of those guys could take that role and be a power play guy just as much as what you just mentioned with with Brad Marchand in Boston. Um, it's unfortunate that it hasn't worked out. I mean, it's something they need to work on. And I'm sure they know. It's not like we're we're you know reveling in brand new information that nobody else knows, and the Ducks oh, have yeah, no idea sure. their power play's bad. But their choices night in and night out, Eddie, are just mind-boggling. Why is Brandon Montour not consistently the trigger man on the on you know the upper faceoff dot the Ovechkin spot? Why is Ryan Kessler playing on the first power play unit? There's questions, and the fact that we don't have answers to them and the fact that it's also not clicking really just leads me to believe that there's not going to be any changes here. We've heard the spark of interest of, hey, there's going to be significant change. Uh, you know, we heard that from Jonathan Davis, not the lead singer of Corn. you know, the guy from SiriusXM. <laughs> Um, and then also we heard from Kevin Weeks. You know, Weeks, he's a big-time guy for NHL Network, former NHL goaltender. We talked about this on our last show about, the, you know, the chances of Carlisle being let go. I don't want to hop into post-game, post-game, but I think we kind of have to here. That's a rumor we have to address. Eric Stevens addressed it with Bob Murray, and Bob Murray's, like, vehemently denying the fact that despite all the failure, that Randy Carlisle is here to stay and his status quo and that's it. There's no moving on from him. So whatever you want to say about the power play, whatever you want to say about five on five, whatever you want to say about uh, secondary scoring on this team, which is you know all three of those are major problems. It doesn't matter. Randy Carlisle's here to stay, man. He's through thick and thin. He's going to be here till the end of the season. It it seems like it because. If he, if we were we so surprised that he escaped the seven-game losing streak at the beginning of the season when other coaches were getting fired. Yep. Uh, if he if he escapes a nine-game losing streak when the ninth game you lost came against the worst team in the league who was also on an eight-game losing streak, if you survive that, you can survive anything. And if he's not fired tomorrow, he's here for the rest of the year. Yep. Unless this gets ridiculous. Like, unless... Like unless it gets insane, like fifteen or twenty, it doesn't matter. Like if it, it doesn't matter, I, they could lose every game the rest of the season. No, nah, I, I, at that point you get pressured. There's like you have to do something. Something has to change. No, nine, nine is a big number, but it's happened before. If you get to like scary historical territory, where I don't think the Ducks could get to that point, but if you do. It's like something's gonna happen. Dude, somebody's gonna step in. The owners are gonna step in or something. Or he's just gonna have to do something at that point. I I would think so. There's no way. It, this is all hypothetical, and I don't think it's gonna get that bad. But imagine it gets to 15 or 16 games. How do you sit there and do nothing? I mean, there's a ve- and and I love Anaheim. I love the Ducks. But if you play the way you play tonight against Pittsburgh, you're gonna lose. You play the way you played tonight against the Winnipeg Jets, you're also going to lose. You play the way you played tonight against anybody, you're going to lose. Okay. You just did this against the worst team in the That's league. That's what I'm saying. So you, you you duplicate tonight. This team is only missing Patrick Eze and, and, and Corey Perry. It's not like they're missing top-end you know, guys who carry this team and on a night-by-night basis. They're missing guys who are... And for lack of just honestly a better word for them, they're at the at the upper end of their career. They're not top tier guys anymore. They're not needle movers so much anymore. So it's not like this team's missing top end guys. So you play this game again on Friday, you're losing to Sid. You play this game on Sunday, you're losing to Shifley. And then what? They gotta go and play Detroit. We just saw him lose to Ottawa. It's a dangerous slope the Ducks are on. This is not a good situation for Anaheim. And, and, and it's there's no reason they're going to fire Randy Carlisle. He is literally going to be here until the end 
of the season. He's here. He's here. Who's going to take his spot? No one's paying yeah. Quinville. They're not going to pull Dallas Eakins off from, well, from especially San Diego. not now. Uh, Ricky brought up in the chat that the goals through their past twelve games are ten zero and two. They're killing it. Why would you There's stop? No that? way. You don't. Yeah. I, I mean, again, that would be the likely option at the end of the year. But you right. don't do that now. Right. You don't. Some at least one of the teams is winning. You don't want to bring Dallas Eakins up and then have him lose with the Ducks and then have the goals just get mired in in losing him and then they're screwed over too. You don't want that. No. Um, and, and nobody's coming in right now, honestly, I think, and saving this. Because like I already said, it, it's too late to completely implement a new system and have everybody buy in in enough time to save this team. There there just isn't. I don't think there is. And you know, they, they, people brought up in the chat too, Ike and Ricky brought up that uh, Ryan Miller's still out, which is still a tough loss for the Ducks. And not that he comes I mean, in I and guess. they play better. Sure. No, but it, it, John Gibson gets literally no rest whatsoever. You know, this could have been a game where if you had a reliable backup like Ryan Miller, you say, well, we'll throw Miller in and, like, give you rest and we'll put bring him in for Pittsburgh. Then you have that option at least, right, to do that. And not that the Ducks would have won if Ryan Miller was in that tonight because they still can't score any goals. But it gives Gibby a break. And, and Paul Campbell, who we're going to have on, I think, in a couple weeks, tweeted out today that John Gibson looks tired. I'm sure he is. I'm sure he's not just physically tired. He's just emotionally drained at how shit this team is and, and how he's just left hung out to dry. You look at him in overtime. Again, cross-crease pass for the game winner. Three, I think that's three overtimes in a row that that's happened to him. I, he's fed up. It's just ridiculous. I, I mean, he's the only one doing anything on this team right now. When they went on their winning streak, guys were scoring goals and things were looking good. But when the goals dry up, he's still the only one back there doing anything at all. Alright, so let's talk about it. We've got about 20-25 minutes here to wrap. Uh, so it means we got to get to, to plenty of questions here. Uh, Bay Bolts in our chat here on Spreaker says, Why do you guys think Pontus Aberg was out of the lineup? Um, for me, it was pretty pretty obvious. He has not been the the guy that is facilitating offense right now. He's, he, he's a streaky player, right? So... Mm-hmm. And he's not on a offensive streak. So I, I honestly feel with Raquel coming back, Randy Carlisle feels that if Getzloff can't feed him the puck, then he's probably better off being scratched. He's a one-dimensional guy. And in my opinion, Eddie, I don't know how you feel about it, but uh, I feel like that's why. That's why he was left off the roster tonight. Yeah, no, I, we've talked about this before. And uh, you're, if you're not playing Pontus Aberg with Adam Henrique or Ryan Getzloff, uh, in my opinion, there's no point in having him in the on the line in the lineup and putting him on the fourth line because they're not breaking up Kessler, Cogliano, and Silverberg. So the only place left for Aberg to go is down with Rowney and Sherwood, and you bring Gibbons out of the lineup. But at that point, when you put the fourth line out there, you're looking not for somebody like Pontus Aberg who needs to be with somebody who can feed him the puck. Brownie and Sherwood aren't going to do that. You need somebody on that fourth line who has some defensive responsibility and is more of a two-way guy, which which Brian Gibbons is. And not like Gibbons has been amazing for this team, but he is somewhat reliable on the other end of the puck, and and I think that's why he's there. You look at bringing Ricard Raquel back in the lineup, you're not bringing out Daniel Sprong because he's actually been producing, and you're definitely not bringing out Andre Kasher or Henrik or Richie or anybody of that sort. And Pontus Aberg, over the last two games, he has no shots five on five. None. The only shots he's had have come on the power play, where he had four, I believe, against the Oilers. But it, and he hasn't scored or put up a point since the their game against the Rangers, where he scored. So that is, what, seven games without a point for Pontus Aberg? At that point, you're going to find your way out of the lineup. You know, he, he's had his uh, shot attempt numbers, his puck possession when he's on the ice have been good for the Ducks. But how much of that is just playing on a good line with Ryan Getzlaff or with Adam Henrique, right? And the Ducks, their puck possession has been better as of late. So I agree with him coming out of the lineup. You knew with Ricardo Raquel somebody was going to come out. And if you're bringing somebody into the top six, you're going to have to take somebody out. And Pontus Aberg for me, just doesn't work on the fourth line 
I don't know what's going to happen with him from now on here. The Ducks are going to have to make a decision. There's no point in just healthy scratching him every night if you want to send him down to San Diego. I believe he might have to clear, clear waivers at this point. So I, I don't know. We'd have to look into that because maybe we see a trade. Maybe we see a trade before the Ducks have to go through that decision because I don't think at this point you send him through waivers. You can't. You can't send him through waivers because then they're going to lose him for nothing. Yeah, and, you know, Bob Murray's not the kind of guy to just lose players for nothing, right? I mean, and Aberg's just not, he's not the answer here. He's just not. It, these are all temporary Band-Aids. And, you know, he's a streaky player. And I, I feel like it's it's fine he's out of the lineup. I, mean, I would rather see Ricard Raquel anyway get the opportunity to come back in, get his feet wet under him. And uh, play along uh, alongside you know Ryan Getzloff and Daniel Sprong and see what they can create. We'll see what happens next game I'm on Friday, but uh, I wasn't disappointed with April being off. Do you want to get to more questions? Or do you want to hit some uh, topics here? Yeah, I, I, before we get to questions, I have two things. Um, somebody mentioned before the game, obviously Josh Maher gets got sent down quickly. I want to just talk about this a bit. Um, I think you're probably in the same boat as me. I think you believed he should have gotten sent down based off his recent play the fact that he's only 20 years old he can probably benefit from playing on a good san diego goals team but uh do you think he should have got sent down like he didn't really do anything wrong so it's not like he deserved to get sent down for bad play but uh i think just with the other guys in the lineup it was probably his time right yeah i i feel like it was um i felt like when He's been on the ice uh, with Andy Walensky even. Just hasn't looked solid. They didn't play well at all against Connor McDavid, which is, I mean, what do you want to say? It's Connor McDavid. He's 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 the best player in the world. He's going to bully people, even though he's not built like a bully. Um, but Andy Walensky and uh, Josh Murray did not look solid when they were on the ice together. That's a few games in a row for them. Uh, Jacob Larson... You know, someone made mention last show that he was sent down because of his power play numbers and all that. If Randy Carlyle's really benching people or really not playing them because of power play numbers, then you, you shouldn't play your stars either, bro, because they're terrible. Um, I, I feel like uh, it was probably a solid uh, idea for Josh Murray to move down. I think it's a better place for him to, to mature and grow as a player and uh, play the more experienced guys right now. It, it's good. I, I don't, like on the same on the same line. I don't want to see Troy Terry here. Why? No. Why would I bring Not Troy right Terry here? Why would you want to let him dominate? Let him have a really good feel good season. Let him see what let, let let everyone see where he can take the goals. Maybe they're you know a very competitive team and they come in the playoffs and led by Troy Terry and some other guys and things turn out great. Don't bring him here to the tire fire and see what he can do. I think the Ducks are in a transition period. Let your guys, you know, gain gain the knowledge, including Josh Mahurla, and then come back in a year or so when they're ready to go. Barring injury, this is probably the the lineup we see until the end of the season or, or whenever Patrick Eves and, and Corey Perry come, come back. back. Yeah. Um, so we're likely seeing Getzlaff, Raquel, and Sprong, Kasher, Henrik, and Richie, the the shutdown line as it was once termed when it was good. <laughs> now, they did do a good job tonight. but uh, yeah, yeah, of course. And then uh, Rowney, Gibbons, and Kiefer Sherwood. That's likely what we see. Uh, Auberg, I have no idea. That will be an interesting one. Well, we'll have to double-check if he has to clear waivers. Still, I would assume at this point it's been long enough that he would have to go down through waivers at this point so whether they trade him or they move somebody else down or they healthy scratch him or they they move him in and out with somebody like gibbons and every other night or something like that we'll have to see but this is what we're gonna have to deal with and and i love josh maher going down to that team while they're doing good right now i think he's gonna help them they they look poised uh we could see a, a Holzer call up because he scored two goals in the goal seven four win tonight. So you know that probably warrants a call up for Randy Carlisle oh, to play oh, to play for Benny and Holzer on no. the bottom pairing. Let's just leave somebody where they're at. Come on, just stay where you're at. You don't want to play in Anaheim. I saw that. I saw that, and I was like, oh, yeah, he scored two tonight. That probably warrants a call. Oh, good Carlo. lord! Let's hope it. not. Let's really hope not. He hasn't been great when he was here in Anaheim either. But not to say he can't play a five-six role. Yeah. So last thing before we get to the, the fan questions, we had uh, all-star jerseys today. Oh. To oh. mixed reception. Kill me. Um, 
the rest could of the you try business? could you try a little NHL did you did you try I, I, this, is my, this is my thing they didn't try but they're no. not ugly how are they not ugly they're, they're, they don't make any sense yeah that's <laughs> true they're just black and white but black and white doesn't look bad and it looks pretty oh. with the Ducks logo it looks pretty sweet but it, it, again it, it's such a weird concept it's like they're like ah oh, you know what like the other ones have all been ugly, but at least they've been like designs that it looks like they've kind of taken time on. Like, like honestly, the last few years I've hated all the All Star jerseys. They're, dude, they're brutal. They're all brutal. Yeah, this uh, one was like I saw a thing online. It's like garbage made from garbage. They're all yeah. like reusable. But there's some people who are like it's not that bad. Like I saw a picture uh, that somebody posted today of them in the team store, and and they honestly don't look awful. Like they are pretty cool looking with the black and white of the logo. The the white one looks really cool, but they're just so bland. Like that's the thing. It's like they didn't even try and, and it's weird that like in my opinion that they're putting the, the other teams like your your team's logos on it and not the NHL logo that they've done for so long. They, they used to just have the, the team logos on the shoulder patches. I, I don't get it. Uh, you know, I'm not going to buy one because they're going to be super expensive. If they oh, cheap, of course. They probably would just because they're, they they look nice. Um, but it, it just seems like such a cop. But I love, like, the, the recycling thing. I think that's cool, the, re- the recycled material. Oh, yeah, for sure. No, I agree with that. Like, that's a cool thing, and it, and it links in with San Jose perfectly. But it either seems like they ran out of time or they didn't really know how to work that in, that concept in with making a jersey. Um, and then they looked at the past ones, and they, they went the complete opposite direction of, of like course. the full, the full color. Like which ones were they were like yellow and blue was or like purple was that Tampa? Bay? Was that like, last like, year? Or year before it was like neon yellow or neon yeah, orange. Like, oh, those they were, were bad. horrible. When Raquel went with the white and the orange, people liked those, but those were bad for the Pacific Division. I mean, they've just been bad for a while. Even the black and yellows when John Scott was in the All-Star game. I, didn't, I wasn't a fan of those either. Best All-Star game ever. It was, but the jerseys have just been bad for a while. And, and I mean, people will buy these because some of them look really cool. But they're just – they're so – there's no thought behind them. It's like, you know what? We're just going to make everything black and white. And we're just not even going to worry about putting the NHL logo or changing it up. We're just going to literally have two jerseys. That's it. Just two jerseys. But we're just going to change it up put the team's logo. They're on so it. bad. They're like literally alternate jerseys. That's what they are. Like a they're practice not... jersey. They're, they're, they didn't look good at all. I was not a fan of those jerseys, They man. have no mention of the All-Star game on it. Unless no. they get an All-Star patch eventually. Of but like course. They'll do they that. Here. But the ones they showed here that they were showing at, I think, the team stores, there's no patch on them. It's just black and white, no patch. That's it, just just the logo, nothing on it. So I don't really know what they're going to do with that. But that, uh, that is the All-Star game. It's never fun, it's always boring, and they always do weird stuff. Who said <laughs> that's that? That's what we can. No, me. That's just oh. what, every year. Every year, that's what I get from the All-Star I game. I still love the All-Star game, man. I still love it. Let's get to fan questions, though, man. We're running along here. Yeah, so Nick on Facebook says, what kind of return do you guys think they could get for Adberg and Silverberg, and do you think they should trade either of them? Okay, look. They're, they're not going to trade... I don't think they're going to trade Aberg. They're going to trade Silverberg. They have to trade Silverberg. They can't afford to keep him. Um, what do they get for him, though? If you're If you're Bob Murray and you're trading a Jacob Silverberg... You're not trading a first line winger. You're trading a top six, a top six forward at best, and I think you're going to get probably a okay pro- prospect and maybe a draft pick, and that's it. You're not going to get this gigantic haul for Jacob Silverberg. He's going to have to get paid upwards of four or five million dollars, and I don't think the Ducks are going to get what people think they're going to get. I, I feel like fans have this gigantic expectation that Bob Murray has been holding on to lost treasure and is all of a sudden going to get paid for it. I, I, he's going to get market value, and that's that's a second-line winger, uh, probably for a mid-level prospect and a pick, if they're lucky. Yeah, uh, Silverberg, I think, will get a little bit more. 
because he he brings more to the table than just more than offense. that. What else could he possibly get? He's gonna be he's gonna get paid five million dollars. No, no, I just mean more than Auberg. Oh no, for sure. More than, yeah, 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 more than Pontus Auberg. Auberg has the better numbers right now, but he's one dimensional, and you have to put him with somebody that's going to be able to get him the puck. Actually, they're identical pretty much right now through thirty seven games. Auberg uh, has eleven goals, eight assists. And Silverberg, through 39 games, has 11 goals and 7 assists. Uh, but then Silverberg Ugh. brings the defensive acumen yep. to his game, which people are going to be looking for. I think more people are going to be interested in him. I, it, it all depends on who's available at the deadline and what, what players, teams are going to make available, whether Columbus actually goes out and makes Artemi Brenneran available at the deadline will be an interesting factor behind it. But they'll, they'll get something for Silverberg, and whatever they get at this point is better than nothing because they're not going to re-sign him for the amount of money he's going to want. And uh, if they're still playing like this, even right now, honestly, no matter what, I would trade Pontus Abberg for whatever you can get for him. There's no guarantee whatsoever that he's going to be able to repeat this ever again. Uh, not to say he isn't a bad player. I think he is, uh, again, a gifted player if you put him with the right guy. But he's going to always be inconsistent. And that's going to be tough for teams to want to buy on consistently. And you might as well sell high on him and get something for him now and, and start trying to rebuild some assets that help you be competitive in the future. Because the Ducks have a lot of young pieces. And getting those assets now so that they'll be ready to play in time when the Ducks are presumably going to be good again is important. No, 100%. And if you sell high on him, though, what do you, what do you, what do you expect the return is? On Pontus Aberg? Yeah. It's so tough to say because it all depends on what type of market it is at the trade deadline. Uh, maybe a second-round pick, a, a mid-tier prospect, something like that if a team really needs the help. But it, it could be less than that because he, he, you know, he's put up numbers, but they're not spectacular. 11 goals in 37 games is pretty good. It's a 20-goal pace on the season. Uh, but people look at his past and show that he hasn't really done it before and maybe take a flyer at him being a bit younger. There's a lot of things going for and against him, uh, but the Ducks aren't going to get a ton for him. It's it's not going to be a lot. And, and, you know, second or third round pick, I think, is, is as high as, as teams are going to go. Uh, and that's worth it, in my opinion. The Ducks are, are great at drafting and finding guys in the second and third round. This is a pretty good draft this year, so I would go for it. Sell them for whatever you can get it for. No matter no, what, I is, would agree, honestly. man. The highest bid, take it because there's no point in re-signing him. You don't know if you're going to get this again. You don't want him taking up a spot next year from Sam Steele or come to our Troy Terry, right? No. You want to get move him out, move Silverberg out for the same reason because you're not going to want to pay him, and you're not want you're going to want him to take up one of those spots for a long period of time. Make some room for the younger guys, and get some assets in return. And I'm sure that's what Bob Murray's going to do. He's a smart GM. I don't think he's going to risk keeping Silverberg, losing him for nothing, and then being forced to re-sign him. No, I'm right there with you on that, 100%. A couple questions here. They all revolve around the same thing from Instagram um, about the Kessler line. Uh, So Canadian Girl says, I think Silverberg deserves better than to play with Cogs and Kess. Who do you think he should play play with? And Steven also says he thinks the Kessler line should be broken up. So kind of the same type of question. Yeah, no, but where do you move these guys? It's it's not like Jacob Silverberg's been super successful with Ryan Getzloff. And believe me, he's had time to play with him. He's had yeah. plenty of time to try to mesh. Uh, this is not the first time that we've seen this line broken up or that uh, we will. It, it just it, It's just hard to figure out exactly who is dragging who across this team. Based on a line by line basis, I can tell you right now that Cogliano and Kessler are not having great years, um, offensively or defensively. And then you look at uh, at Jacob Silverberg, and he's had a down year offensively. So it kind of begs the question, Eddie, if they're talking about splitting this up and all that, is it time that, uh, that we ride this season out and they just buy Ryan Kessler's contract out? Uh, the way it's going, I would. We've talked about it before, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't see why you're, you shouldn't. Um, to be fair, the Ducks don't have to re-sign anybody, and obviously that is kind of a sign of just not being competitive. But if you don't want to block the way for young players for a longer period of time, maybe it, it's time to buy them out. But is that honestly a move you think Bob Murray does? That's a tough move, especially for a player 
who wants to be there still. You know Brian Kessler wants to be in Anaheim, and and he's probably not going to find another gig elsewhere, you no. would think, right? Like, even if he has to go sign a new contract somewhere else, I don't think the way he's playing this year with the injury history he's had, that teams are going to take a flyer on him. You're basically ending a guy's career if you're Bob Murray by buying him out at this point. I'm not sure that's a move he makes. I, I think it would be the right move for the player and for the team. Um, I, I just don't know. It, it's I, I would. That I guess that's my answer. I would buy him out. I would move Silverberg. I would move Auberg. And I would make way for the young players we saw this year to get some more time and be able to find some more ice time with the with the big team. Well, that's because you think logically. That's that's a yeah. problem here. Nobody um, else apparently does in this organization. It's it, so. they don't. They really, really don't. And it's just going to stay the same. I, I don't know what else to add to add to that. I, I agree with you. It's just going to stay the same. If they were smart, they would embrace. They would embrace the rebuild. But uh, many teams don't do that. They feel like they can fly. And halfway, you know, make it to somewhere and then rebuild. But that's so hard to do. That's so hard to do. How long did it take Buffalo? How long did they have Eichel before they... And honestly, to be fair, the Ducks aren't really in a spot where they have to do a full rebuild. No. They They have the defense to cover it up. Yeah. They They have have a good goaltender. They have good defense. Amazing goaltender. They can maybe use an upgrade here or there. And they need somebody to replace some of their... They need some more top-end forwards. Um, like high top end fours, like first or second line guys, and that comes from being uh, bad for two seasons where you get some top picks. Whether whether that's this year, I don't know. We've seen a lot of people saying play crapo for Kako, lose for Hughes. I don't know if it's going <laughs> to get that crapo for Kako. That's hilarious. Ask me nine games ago, I say it's probably not going to get that bad. Uh, but the Ducks are in danger of falling below five hundred. Doesn't look like it's going to get any better over the short term. Really, not any better. It's not getting easier for either. sure. Um, so maybe it, get, it gets to that point where they get a top ten pick. Who knows? There's still a lot of time left in this season. We've already seen this year as well that the Ducks are capable of stringing together a lot of wins, and they've been a really streaky team. So I'm not going to rule out the fact that they could go on a six or seven game winning streak if they get the right teams together and just start gelling and put and, and maybe their luck turns around and they start getting some bounces and putting the puck in the back of the net. So. I don't think they're a bottom 10 team in the league with the, some of the players they have. John Gibson alone makes me think that this isn't a team that's going to finish with the top 10 overall pick. Yeah, but is, they need, they need to prove it. They, they need it. really they need, need it. to prove it. But they, you know, the, I don't want them to just scrape into the playoffs at this point. I think this is a team who needs a top 10 pick, who needs a forward who's going to be a a dominant second or first line player for this team for a long time and that will be ready in the next two or three years to really start going with this new core ricard raquel when he's in his prime this defense when they're getting in their late 20s with cam fowler obviously being in his 30s john gibson being in his late 20s and and scarily hitting his prime as a goaltender and starting to play somebody, I guess, I don't know how at this point, but playing even better than he's playing right now. That's what the Ducks need to start building for. And I, I don't like tanking, and I don't think they should tank, uh, but they could benefit from a couple seasons where they get a few top 10 picks now rather than later. Embrace the tank. Next question. The next questions are all the same th- same thing. And a good, I guess, a good way to enter the show. We've already kind of talked about it, but does Randy Carlisle get fired before Pittsburgh? No. Yeah. No. I, I, he he's here. Um, he he's not going. You fully believe he's here. Anyway, no he could lose the rest of the season and not get fired. That's how confident I am that Bob Murray is not willing to admit a mistake. Randy Carlisle is here for the long haul. I'll be damned if he gets fired. And I will gladly eat whatever crow you put in front of me here or, you know, stuff my foot in my mouth for saying something out of line. But Randy Carlisle's not getting fired. As much as anybody wants it, he's here, man. He's not going anywhere. They, they, you could literally see him on Sunday if they lose the next two games, still be the coach. Yeah, I <laughs> I don't see it happening tomorrow. Or today now. <laughs> or two today months. now for everybody. But if it now I, I still believe if it gets to the point where it's just 
ridiculous. Like, it is getting, like I already mentioned, 13, 14, 15 games, which I don't think it gets no, to, but if it does... Uh, and nobody wants that either. Nobody wants a, f- a 15 game losing streak. <laughs> nobody wants that. But I I can see him at that point getting moved. But but Bob Murray's made no indication that that's no. his plan for this he season. He, yeah, well, he's gonna deny it no matter what. Even if he was planning on moving him, he's not gonna go out to the media and be like, yeah, I'm actively looking to fire him. I just need to find a replacement. But he's not gonna say that. He's gonna back him until the day that he fires him. That's just how it goes. Um, but I just don't see it happening right now. Uh, and if it doesn't happen after the next few games, if they continue to lose, then he's probably here for the rest of the year, no matter what they're going to do. <laughs> it's so bad. It's so bad. He should have been gone. He should have been gone in November. He should have been gone November. in a seven-game losing streak. He should have been, been gone in November. He had no That's business it. coming back here. And... We're gonna he play should have faster. Been gone after the playoff series. We're playing faster. This team's gonna be faster, says Bob Murray, who has Randy Carlisle's coach. A lot of us bought into that. Yeah, 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 man. It's been a brutal time for Randy Carlisle and for his uh, his detractors. It's been even worse because none of us like him, but he's still here. All right, well, let's end it here. Thanks for everybody for who came out to the YouTube chat. I know it was super late today. And we had some technical difficulties with uh, the video, but we'll hopefully have that fixed for Friday. Thanks to everybody who came out to the Spreaker chat as well. Yep. We'll have both of them up and running for the game against Pittsburgh. Uh, we're finally back on a regular post-game schedule, which is nice being able to do uh, the, the shows right after each game, which is, which is the plan, hopefully, for the rest of the season. Stay tuned for If Everybody Three Stars comes up before every game. We have a couple plans this year with some interviews that are going to be coming up soon. Uh, if you haven't listened to our friend Chip's, uh, K-Rock, uh, sorry, Chip at K-Rock, her podcast, Totally Offsides, will be on there on Saturday. And then I'm sure the show will be released in the coming weeks after that. So stay tuned for us there. And then make sure to check us out on iTunes, leave a review, subscribe if you want as well. It really helps us out and gets the show out there. And then if you haven't, check out our YouTube and subscribe there as well. There you go. Eddie put it all away for you guys. Go subscribe to us, go leave a review. And uh, don't forget to check out CoolHockey.com and buy a jersey. Our promo code there is FM20. That's it. We'll talk to you guys on Friday night. Hopefully we get a win. A win against Sid would be great. Have a great one, everyone. Talk to you soon.